Taking Another Look at Antipsychotics, a conversation with Dr. Jean Storm. This webinar included a visual PowerPoint presentation. To view a video recording, visit the link in the description of this podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19 related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is geared toward long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who's interested to attend. My name is Kathy Caudill. I'm a communications specialist with Quality Insights. Today's webinar topic is taking another look at antipsychotics. And now I'd like to introduce our speaker for today, Dr. Jean Storm. Dr. Storm is medical director here at Quality Insights. She has a background in nursing home care, internal medicine, and healthcare leadership. And she recently served as associate medical director for Optum United Healthcare. She has also served as regional medical director for 38 long-term care facilities in West Virginia. She earned her DO from Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine and completed her postgraduate training at Mill Creek Community Hospital in Erie, Pennsylvania. Dr. Storm, thank you for joining us again today. Thanks, Kathy. And thank you everyone for joining us. So today we're going to be talking about something that is an interest of mine, um, just in in looking at what has happened pre-pandemic, through the pandemic, post-pandemic, we know, research has shown, that antipsychotic numbers have gone up. They went up during the pandemic, and I'm not so sure that they've actually come down post-pandemic to pre-pandemic numbers. So we're kind of still digging out from that big pile of antipsychotics that were prescribed during the pandemic. So you you want to, you know, I ask myself, okay, so we have an increase in antipsychotics. So what? So antipsychotics can cause a lot of adverse effect, effects on our residents. And these adverse effects can lead to increased falls, which can in, lead to increased injuries, which can lead to increased hospitalizations and ER visits. Um, they can cause weight loss. We'll be talking about all of those things. And so we really need to make sure that we're prescribing them appropriately and we're monitoring them appropriately. So that's what we'll be talking about today. So part of my role is I am a collaborative physician for nurse practitioners who are in facilities all across this region of Pennsylvania. And when I review a resident case, I write down all of the medications because geriatrics, the first law of geriatrics is look at the medications first as they could be the cause of whatever symptom the resident is presenting with. So this is a sample list of one resident, one medication list from one resident. And as you can see, it's a long list. And we have an antipsychotic on their list, which is our olanzapine. And it's an antipsychotic, can interact with other psychotropic medications like Deloxetine, which is our Cymbalta, our Clonazepam, which is a Benzodiazepine, our Trazodone, our Depakote, they all can interact together. They can all exert effects alone. Um, also Tramadol. Tramadol is an opioid and it also can cause some effects on mood in our residents. So, you know, it's a lot of medications and, and the antipsychotic is kind of just adding to the mix and it can cause a lot of adverse effects 
on residents. So how do antipsychotics work? And I'm not going to go into depth of how these antipsychotics work, but the initial antipsychotic was chlorpromazine. It was developed as a surgical anesthetic. So antipsychotics were developed to just knock people out so they could do surgery. Today, we have two categories of antipsychotics. We have typical or our first generation antipsychotics, and then we have our atypical and second generation antipsychotics. And antipsychotics, this is a lot of information. If somebody is very interested in neuroanatomy and neurochemistry, you can certainly read it. But antipsychotics work through dopamine and dopamine receptors in the brain primarily. Some work on serotonin. So these are mood chemicals that affect our, our, our mood. And we think, and this is actually, we're not so sure about what causes psychotic symptoms, but excess release of, of dopamine in some areas of the brain and decreased dopamine release in other areas of the brain are typically associated with psychotic symptoms. So we think about psychotic symptoms, we're talking about hearing voices, seeing things, hallucinations, all of those symptoms are psychotic symptoms. So how where dopamine is lacking and where we have too much dopamine kind of play a role in how causing those psychotic symptoms in the brain. So the typical antipsychotics, first generation, these are like our Haldol, are um, the, the, the really the older antipsychotics that you would think about they block the dopamine receptors. So that means the dopamine cannot get to those receptors. Dopamine release doesn't really have a, um, as much of an effect. These medications have higher side effects when you're thinking about extrapyramidal symptoms because they're not selective in where they work. And when they bind, they're really on there tightly. So they're on there for a long period of time and so that gives them more opportunity to cause those adverse effects, like the extrapyramidal symptoms that you think about, like lip smacking, all of those kinds of things that you think about, like with Haldol. Atypical antipsychotics also block, block the dopamine receptors, but they also act on serotonin receptors. So they play a role there as well. And they only bind long enough to elicit the antipsychotic effects and they don't stay on there for a long period of time to cause all those adverse effects that we see from the typical antipsychotics like Haldol. Antipsychotics by type, so our typical first generation are the chlorpromazine that I talked about, the, the very first one, surgical anesthetic, haloperidol, perfenazine, thorazine, all of these things that probably the one typical antipsychotic that we're using in nursing facilities currently is haloperidol or Haldol. We typically utilize the atypical or second generation antipsychotics. And these are our Zyprexa, which is our olanzapine, risperidone, olanzapine, quetiapine, Seroquel, um, all of these kinds of things. So these are our atypical second generation antipsychotics. It's not very clear what role dopamine plays in psychosis, all of these are kind of theories, and it's difficult to kind of get to the brain level versus the mind level um, psychosis. So all of that aside, an antipsychotic is going to show improvement more in the first two weeks than any other two-week period. 
That means if you start an antipsychotic on a resident and you don't see any improvement, there's probably a very good chance that if you double that antipsychotic after that first two weeks, you're probably not going to see any improvement and you're going to get adverse effects. The resident is going to experience more so the adverse effects instead of resolution of their symptoms. So I usually tell uh, my nurse practitioners that I advise, anyone I advise around antipsychotics, if you don't see improvement in the first two weeks of starting that drug, doubling it is probably not going to help. And I think it's very interesting, the initial phase of the antipsychotic response. So if you start an antipsychotic, you're not going to have resolution of those symptoms. So if you have a a resident with schizophrenia and they're hearing voices, the problem is those voices seem real. So the voices are are telling them fearful things. They're becoming afraid. They're becoming anxious because they feel that those voices seem real in their reality. When you give someone an antipsychotic, those voices kind of fall to the background. They still know those voices are there, but they're more aware that their voices that they're not in the reality. So they're not, we're not going to get rid of the hallucinations or the delusions or the voices. They're just going to fall to the background. I know this is a little bit dated, this slide, but if you can see, we had an increase in antipsychotic prescribing over the five years between 2013 to 2018, and the antipsychotics got cheaper. So these medications have become less expensive. So it's just something to think about because, you know, if, if something is less expensive, it it's, tends to be easier to utilize. Um, so it's just something to think about. This is just a case to kind of, you know, an example of a case of a utilization of an antipsychotic. 78-year-old male, long-term resident of the facility with a past medical history of stroke, dysphagia, hypertension, atrial fibrillation, dementia, and seizures. He's taking alprazolam, which is Xanax, duloxetine, which is Cymbalta, Keppra, olanzapine. So there is our antipsychotic, 2.5 milligrams at HS, metoprolol, 25 milligrams twice a day, hydrocodone acetaminophen, so also an opioid, and Flomax. Pharmacy consultant recommends GDR of the olanzapine to 1.25 milligrams daily. Pharmacy uh, consultant said time to do a GDR, recommended to follow schedule, do a GDR. That is done, and it was a small dose, so um, the olanzapine was eventually stopped because it was reduced in half and and then um, stopped. Resident throughout that time was documented as being combative with care or having verbal outbursts three to four times a month. So our three is three to four times a month. Is that excessive? Is that normal? It's hard to say with a patient with a history of stroke and dementia. And it really depends on what that combative with care is. Um, is a resident a harm to themselves or others? Um, you know, all of these questions should be answered. So two weeks after the antipsychotic is stopped, so two weeks after the olanzapine is stopped, this is um, just a sample note written. Resident has proceeded with aggression and verbal outbursts this AM. Resident was refusing care and hitting at CNA while yelling, get out of here, you dirty, and called her a name. 
resident continued with behavior while AM care was attempted to be performed, support and encouragement given. And after this note was written, the nurse contacted the on-call provider about the above events and an order was received um, to restart the olanzapine, 1.25 milligrams at HS. Now, I don't know if this is a failed GDR because, you know, it's hard to know what caused this resident to become aggressive. Um, you know, it's documented the resident was hitting the CNA. Um, it, it's hard to know how the, was the resident was woken up. Was the resident fearful? Was the resident cold? You know, it's hard to know. I don't know if this restarting of the antipsychotic is justified. So I, I think, you know, all of these things kind of need to be thought about because antipsychotics carry a high degree of adverse effects and they actually shorten a resident's life. So I, you know, we have to take it, the, the medications really seriously. So antipsychotics carry a black box warning for use in the elderly with dementia related behaviors. So if we're using antipsychotics to treat dementia related behaviors, they increase mortality. That is what a black box warning means, means there's documented risk of shortening someone's life if you're using antipsychotics to treat dementia-related behaviors. There's one antipsychotic on the market utilized that is, that is approved for treatment of agitation associated with dementia. That is Brexpiprazole. It is not... I think what happened when it was re when it was approved is that a lot of people said, oh, this is wonderful because I understand agitation associated with dementia is very, very difficult. It is exceedingly difficult to treat. I have seen the whole spectrum where some individuals are just some residents who have dementia are just saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. And they're looking for the door. And that's documented as agitation associated with dementia. Is that I'm not sure. I've seen significant agitation where there is aggression. I mean, I have been, <laughs> been, a, been a witness and, and I have um, been hit. So I, I think that there is a difference here. I think we have to be very careful that we're not just utilizing it everywhere. Antipsychotics are often used for insomnia in the outpatient and inpatient setting, and they carry side effects that can be thought of symptoms as another disease. And so now you're thinking about, well, why are they losing weight? Well, why are they falling? Well, why are they having constipation? Why are they having hyperglycemia? And it could all be due to the antipsychotic and, and, and kind of we lose sight of that. Brexpiprazole, this is pulled from the FDA. This is all of the data that they cited from their studies when they were looking at this drug. And so you have to see that there is significant amounts of dizziness, syncope, orthostatic hypotension, falls, cardiovascular events. We need to think about these things when we're giving these medications and we really need to weigh the risks and benefits. And we really need to talk to patient families and MPOAs and make sure they understand uh, the risk of these medications. So it is been shown to improve agitation associated with dementia, but there's side effects. There's a lot of side effects associated with these medications that not only are going to cause 
hospitalizations and falls and ED visits, but it may cause death. So again, something to think about. The most common adverse event in the Brexperiazole group, nasopharyngitis, urinary tract infections, dizziness, somnolence, insomnia. And I really think that this is important to say, due to the evidence that the use of antipsychotics to treat dementia-related behaviors, which are psychosis and agitation, results in higher mortality. Bexpropraisal, again, if you're going to give this to a patient who has a resident who has dementia to treat their, their aggression associated with dementia, you are going to increase mortality. There's a risk that you know, you're going to shorten their life. Again, just something to think about. So side effects, dry mouth, constipation, blurred vision, shuffling gait, drooling, motor stiffness, stroke, weight gain, hyperglycemia. Somebody think about it. If somebody's blood sugar's through the roof, it may be from the antipsychotic. This is a really interesting study. So this is a study that looked at antipsychotics that were started in the hospital and it, these antipsychotics were started on people who had no prior psychiatric diagnosis, and they were either started on haloperidol, so they were either started on Haldol or in atypical antipsychotics like olanzapine, Seroquel, Risperdal, atypical, atypical antipsychotics, so second generation. So one, either they were started on Haldol or one of the atypical antipsychotics. And then the researchers looked at how often these antipsychotics were stopped over time. 790 patients prescribed haloperidol, over 5,000 would prescribe the other antipsychotics, atypical antipsychotics. Over half the patients prescribed Haldol had the medication stopped at 30 days. So over half, but only 11% of patients prescribed the atypical antipsychotics had the medication discontinued at 30 days. So this is something to ask yourself. If you have a resident admitted to your facility, do you have two residents admitted to your facility and one comes in with an order for Haldol with no previous, no psychiatric diagnosis, so no diagnosis of schizophrenia. One comes in with an order for Haldol and one comes in with an order for Seroquel. Neither one have the diagnosis of schizophrenia or psychiatric diagnosis to just justify those medications. Which one is more likely going to be discontinued? Studies show that more likely the Haldol is going to be stopped, which is, you know, we really need to rethink it because antipsychotics are carrying side effects. It's, you know, either atypical, typical, but Haldol kind of carries that bad taste in people's mouths. Um, and maybe rightfully so, but we should be concerned. We should be looking at all, all antipsychotics. Adverse side effects that may be related to a, res a resident's medication regimen, behavioral changes, sedation, bleeding, falls, a decline in ADLs. Decline in ADL is, you know, leads to someone's demise. Respiratory changes, falls, dizziness, headaches, Dehydration, you know, all of these things can cause increased ED visits um, and hospitalizations. So what happened during the pandemic? They did a study. They looked at antipsychotic medication prescribing in nursing homes during the pandemic. Seroquel, quetiapine was the ultimate winner. That was, was the top of the charts for antipsychotic prescribing, as you can see, 29 
So we know that prescriptions dispensed for antipsychotics in nursing homes and assisted living facilities increased during the pandemic. And we, I think we all understand why. Our residents were locked down in their units. They were kept in their rooms. It was a very, very challenging time. Residents with dementia, things became a lot worse, understandably. So there was a 1.5 increase in total prescriptions since the beginning of the pandemic, despite lower census numbers in long-term facilities overall. And the highest increase in number of prescriptions dispensed occurred during the first quarter of the pandemic. So there was an increase in seven of increase in antipsychotic prescribing during the first quarter of the pandemic of 7.4%. So a lot. I see a lot of facilities providers really saying quetiapine, Seroquel, it's almost like we don't think of it as an antipsychotic. It still carries a serious adverse reaction, adverse drug events, tardive dyskinesia, hyperglycemia, a big problem. So if somebody's blood sugars are going through the roof, you think, might think about the Seroquel. Dystonia, hypotension. We've looked at, studies have looked at patients with Alzheimer's, dementia, and quetiapine, Seroquel, really does not, is not effective at treating agitation in patients with dementia. And if we look at patients who have Alzheimer's dementia, cognitive impairment, and we utilize Seroquel or quetiapine, we see a significant greater cognitive decline in these patients and these residents versus placebo. So we are kind of speeding up their cognitive decline when we start them on um, quetiapine or Seroquel. When we think about psychotic side effects, you know, if we have a patient with psychosis, so they're hearing voices, they're having delusions, they're having hallucinations, we really should look at the medications that they're on first, because the medications themselves may be causing the psychosis, may be causing the patient to hear voices, may be causing a person to have hallucinations or to see things or whatever. Steroids, corticosteroids is a big one. You put somebody on a steroid, a, a prednisone taper, and all of a sudden they're hearing voices, and then they get put on uh, antipsychotic, you know, like Seroquel, or then you're having more side effects. But when the cause is the corticosteroid, you know, then, then we really need to consider that first. Opioids, quinolones like Cipro um, can cause psychotic side effects. Calcium channel blockers, clonidine, cephalosporins, our beta blockers, benzodiazepines like our clonazepam, our Ativan. Um, so you know, think about these things if you have a patient who is having psychotic um, symptoms. F-757, I don't think you really need to, we don't really need to go over it, but we know all know that an unnecessary medication that is an excessive dose for excessive duration, you know, if we keep somebody on an antipsychotic, came from the hospital, say this patient had delirium symptoms in the hospital, they get put on quetiapine or Seroquel or Haldol, and you just keep them on it forever. I mean, that's excessive duration. If we, you know, we don't need it. Adequate monitoring, are we monitoring for side effects? Um, do we actually have an indication for use? If a patient comes in on Haldol or Seroquel from the hospital and we don't really have an indication for it being used, we, there's no reason to treat delirium 
for six months to a year with an antipsychotic. So, you know, all of those uses would fall under um, this tag. If an antipsychotic is ordered, I will say appendix PP, I agree, is a little gray in the area of GDR. I will say, though, CMS has never come out and said the GDR schedule is null and void. So I think a GDR schedule is something that should be followed just because it prompts you to do a medication review. Let's take a look at this high-risk medication. Let's see if it really is needed. You can always document that it is and document why. Or you do a GDR. You know, either way, there needs to be a review and then a documentation about why you're doing what you're doing. Facility must make a GDR attempt within the first year that a resident is admitted or after the facility has initiated an antipsychotic. Must make a GDR attempt in two separate quarters with at least one month between attempts in the first year. A GDR attempt must be made at least annually after the first year. I think it's also important to know, you don't need to wait until a GDR is due. If a resident is not having any benefit from medication, especially an antipsychotic, you can just get rid of it. Wean it and, you know, monitor symptoms. I just wanted to mention this one study because a lot of people will ask me, well, what are we supposed to do with agitation associated with dementia? There's not a lot of studies I did see these presenters at um, a conference, the post-acute long-term care conference last year. This study, um, two studies, looked at cholinesterase inhibitors, so like an Aricept and Mamantine, which is Namenda. The 12-week double-blind randomized placebo-controlled study looked at a small amount of patients with moderate Alzheimer's dementia, and it showed that the combination of these medications, cholinesterase inhibitor and Mamantine, Aricept and Amenda was beneficial in reducing disinhibition symptoms. A larger study of 532 patients with dementia agitation demonstrated reduced agitation when these combination of these medications used together. You really have to look at each individual resident and see if they would be candidates for this type of therapy. Again, Aricept and Namenda also carry side effects. There's no medication that's benign. So you really need to look at each individual resident and kind of decide, um, you know, if the benefits outweigh the risks. Dr. Storm, I'd like to thank you for joining us again. And I'd like to thank all of you for joining us. I hope you can join us again next week. Thank you. If you would like to contact Dr. Jean Storm, you can email her at jstorm at qualityinsights.org. You can check out our other interviews at qualityinsights.org slash QIN slash multimedia.